0: If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll be looking at uh, verses 9 through 13. And um, I'm going to read it, and then I'll pray for us, all right? I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and the swindlers Or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside the church. Purge the evil person from among you. Let's pray together. Uh, Father in heaven, uh, your word is truth. Your precepts enlighten our souls. Your word reveals so much about you and your character and your likeness. And what you desire for us as we are being made and remade in the likeness of Jesus. Our world has various images of beauty and righteousness. But we need not be uh, worried. You've shown us what is right and pure and good. Not just in the written word, but in the living word as Christ has dwelt among us. Father, he was present with us. He took on flesh, and he was holy, a holiness that was beautiful to behold, that drew people to him. And Father, you make us in his image that we should follow suit. And so I pray that as we rightly divide this word of truth, make us like Jesus. I pray for his glory. Amen. If you have children, then you've inevitably encountered their longing to be independent. Uh, When they're younger, they want you they need you to carry them and to nurse them and to feed them and to dress them and to wipe them down when they use the restroom. And as they get older, they begin to, uh, in a healthy way, detach and practice measures of increasing independence. And so that same kid that you held now wants to walk. They don't want to be in a stroller. They don't want you to walk them. That kid that you used to bathe doesn't want you to bathe them. They don't want you to brush their teeth or put their shoes on. And that's a healthy thing. I mean, we don't want to be feeding uh, a 30-year-old person. We don't want to be making our children's beds when they're 16, right? Like, they need to grow up. And if, you, if you've been around kids, then you know that, that, that transition point when they're really young and they are flirting with independence, it's hard. It's hard on them. It's hard on us. I mean, they want to wipe themselves in the bathroom and you let them do it. And they use an entire roll of tissue and stuff is just smeared over the walls. You let them feed themselves and... None of the food makes it to their mouth. The dog becomes their best friend because it's meal time for your pet. When they get in their cars to, uh, you get in the car to drive, it takes you an extra five minutes because they want to buckle themselves up. When they pour their own juice, you lose a gallon of juice because the cup moves or they tilt it too high Those are the growing pains, and when they put their shoes on, they come to you and they cry because their feet hurt, and you look down, and their shoes are on the wrong feet. The right shoe is on the left foot and vice versa, and when this happens, right, it's a reminder. It's a reminder that we as parents need to re-engage and correct, and for a season, to come alongside of them until they can walk correctly. I think that's a helpful way to think about our passage this morning. This church in Corinth thought it was more mature than it really was. And Paul repeatedly calls them children. He calls them infants. He says, I'm your father. Don't I love you with a fatherly love? And what Paul is discovering is that they're not walking correctly. Their shoes are on the wrong foot. And here's what I mean. The people that they should have been associating with, they were abandoning. And the people that they should have distanced themselves from, they kept close. They didn't quite have it figured out. And Paul is going to correct that. And this is a message that I think we have to hear. Paul's going to talk about two. Postures of the Christian life. And he would have us to be present and hear. And I'm going to tease that out. And at the same time, he would have us to be pious and holy. And what the Corinthians were doing was the opposite. And Paul is out to correct that this morning. And so that's what I want to think about this morning. I want us to first unpack. This call for Christians to be faithfully present and here. That's the first thing. Now, James Davidson Hunter, in his book entitled "To Change the World," he traces human history, and he basically says, uh, for a, a great portion of the existence of humanity, that humans have tended to live and move and have their being in geographically isolated spaces, right? But with the invention of the automobile, the invention of technology, the invention of our global economy, the invention of social media and the internet and television and radio and uh, the printing press, we're now being bombarded with news and values and we're exposed to things that we probably would not see had we lived 2,000 years ago. But our world is shrinking. And what's that, what, what it's doing to us is, is opening up what he, call, uh, what he calls pluralism. In other words, you, you used to could sort of live in a silo. And, and we used to could sort of talk and teach and, and, and construct a worldview. And that worldview could be insulated from competing worldviews. But because of time and technology and all these things that that now things are colliding. So right now you can live in America and you get a front row seat into what's happening on the other side of the country or another part of the country. And what that's doing is it's Christians are wrestling with how do we engage with a pluralistic society where right is wrong. Wrong is right. Your truth is your truth. And things are going right and left. And, and, and so he, he basically talks about the way Christians have tended to react to that. And there are three different reactions that, that he talks about. Then he offers a fourth way. The first way that Christians have tried to react against pluralism is, is a defensive against. We're going to we're going to toe the line and play defense. And we're against all that stuff. That, that's one way. Another way is a relevance to. We're going to try to get in there and be relevant to the culture, right? Um, and, and the other one is a purity from uh, a purity from posture. We know what is right, and we know what is true. And he goes on to say that that each of those things they they capture some important ways of engaging, but by and large, they all miss something. He says the desire to be relevant with the world has come at a cost of abandoning our Christian distinctness. The desire to be a defensive against makes us aggressive and confrontational and culturally trivial and inconsequential. The desire to be a pure from within has made us disengage, and we withdraw from any active presence. And so he says that these three different ways of engaging, they actually don't work. And he offers a fourth way. And that fourth way is faithful presence. And notice the two words together. Faithful, not just present, but faithful Faithful to the Lord, faithful to truth, and present. Now, here's the thing. Hunter did not invent that. Did you know in Jesus' last prayer or his longest prayer that's recorded in John 17, listen carefully to what Jesus says. Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, But that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. You catch what Jesus has prayed for? Not that we be distant and detached from the world, but somehow we learn to live in the world, amongst the world, without being of the world. That's his prayer. And that's exactly what the Corinthians were not doing in this section. Now, look at our passage. Look at verse 9. Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people. Let's deal with that first phrase. I wrote to you in my letter. All right. So here's what we think. We're pretty confident that, that Paul has written another letter to the Corinthians that has not made it in the Bible. As a matter of fact, if you do some patchwork between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, you're going to discern that there are probably four letters There's four different letters. Only two made it in the Bible. Now, scholars call the first letter that that Paul references here, Corinthians A. Corinthians B is the letter we're reading right now. Corinthians C is a hard letter that Paul wrote to them. And when he wrote it, he was actually sad that he wrote it because he was hard, but, they repented, and then he became glad that he wrote the letter that he had cried that he had wrote, and then he wrote 2 Corinthians, which is called Corinthians D. In other words, 1 Corinthians is really 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians really is 4 Corinthians, and 1 and 3 Corinthians have been lost. And here's the thing, what we have in our Bible is still sufficient. We believe the Holy Spirit Superintends what has made it in our canon, so that what we have right here, even though there are other stuff that the Apostles wrote, there are other letters, what we have by the Spirit is still sufficient, and we lack no good thing. But Paul does make mention to another letter, which is important, because what Paul is actually saying is, this is not the first rodeo. We didn't talked about this before. In another letter, and in that other letter, look, I told you not to associate with the sexually immoral, the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters, right? So that, that's what he said. But notice that Paul now has to clarify what he meant, because they misconstrued what he meant, what they thought he meant. Or what they in their pride now three times in this letter he's called them prideful and so what scholars think is that they were so prideful that they thought that they knew better than paul and so when paul writes don't associate with the sexually immoral the greedy the swindlers of the world what they did was said no 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 paul you got it wrong what we're gonna do is not associate with the world right and then paul says wait a minute That's not what I meant. He says, now I'm writing to you. So you get what Paul is saying? There was a disconnect. What they were doing in their arrogance was not associating with the world. Now, the million dollar question is, what was Paul after? What was he after? Here's a way to read Paul that I think is helpful. Paul will often condemn behavior and then put forward positive gospel-centered conduct. In other words, in Paul's mind, holiness is not simply not doing what is wrong. Holiness, according to the gospel, is more, it's deeper. And so in Ephesians 4, Paul says, let the one who steals, steal no more, right? That's no, don't steal. Then he says, let him get a job and work with his own hands. Okay, now you go to work. And just when you think, okay, Paul, that's what you want me to do, not steal and work, Paul says, and when you earn money, give some of it away to help those in need. That's the gospel pendulum. The pendulum starts with ceasing what you were doing that was wrong, do what is right, and then be gracious and generous. That's the gospel spectrum. Paul says your speech, let no corrupting speech come out of your mouth. Okay, shut your mouth with this other stuff, but don't just walk around not spewing out lies. He says, actually say words that build people up. Holy speech is not just not saying what is wrong, it's building people up, it's being an encourager. He says this in 1 Thessalonians, he says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, see, that's the sin, stop it, that each one of you may learn to possess his own wife, in holiness and honor. You catch that? Well, Paul is actually saying, stop looking at and pursuing other women, but that's not all of it. The rest of that is go date your own wife. Go pursue her own heart. And this goes both ways. This ain't just for women, right? This this, this is not just for men. Paul's whole point is there's a spectrum that moves to the other side. Now, you got that? That makes sense? Here's the question. When Paul says, I don't want you to isolate yourself from the world, the sexually immoral, the greedy, the swindlers, the idolaters. That's not my intent. My intention was never, ever, ever to make you be away from the world. Well, the question beckons to be answered. Well, what did he want? He wanted them to have faithful presence. I want you to be in the world, and I want you to not be of it. He says, if I intended that you avoid unbelievers who do unbelieving things, I would tell you to go live on the moon. But I didn't tell you to pack it up and leave the earth. I've called you to be the church of God in Corinth, right where you are. Paul never envisioned Christians building roads to avoid interacting with non-Christians. He never intended Christians only buying goods created by Christians He never intended Christians living in neighborhoods that only Christians live in. He never intended Christians to isolate ourselves from the world and this list of people. This this, that's a list. And Paul is saying, I never intended you to get so comfortable and so self-righteous and so protective and so indifferent and so uncaring and so isolated from people who need to hear the truth like paul says that's not what i meant you, you you're taking my words out of context And proof of this is Acts 17. Acts 17, Paul preaches in Athens and he preaches these famous words. And God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined our allotted periods and the boundaries of our dwelling places, that we should seek God and find and feel their way towards him. That's Acts 17. Do you want to know where Paul went right after he left Athens? He went to Corinth. It was in Corinth that Jesus showed to him in a vision and said, stay here. I got many in this city who will come to me. It was in Corinth that he met another couple who had been Kicked out of Rome, right? It was in Corinth where he met them and they worked together. It was in Corinth where he actually writes later in our passage, he says, do you not know that murderers and idolaters and those who practice homosexuality and greed and envy, they will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then Paul says, and such were some of you, and you were washed, and you were justified and you were sanctified. How in the world did Paul know their stories? It's because Paul was there in that city, shopping, befriending, being curious, being present, being near, swindling, Sexually immoral, greedy idolaters. Isn't that how you became a believer? You were a swindler. And you were an idolater. And you were sexually immoral. And you were greedy. And God moved near to you. And he used someone to be proximate to you, to get in your face. You can feel their breath on your mouth. You can hear their voice. You can see their eyes. God did not embed a thought about him. He did not embed the gospel in your mind. He used someone to draw near to you. Christians should be proximate and concerned about non believers who do non believing things without abandoning our convictions and our love for Jesus. Non believers should see your good works, your integrity, your empathy, your repentance, your courage, your generosity. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And so here's a question. I'm not here to bind your conscience. Right? I'm not Jesus. And I have no idea how God is calling you, individual you, uniquely made uniquely gifted uniquely situated in your vocations and in your neighborhoods and in the stores you work in and in your circle of friends in the teams you cheer on in the grocery stores you go to that's too much for me to try to plan out here's what i'm saying i'm not here to bind your conscience jesus alone is the lord of your conscience But every one of us ought to be wrestling with that fundamental question. Jesus, as a black man who lives in Jackson, Mississippi, how are you calling me to practice faithful missional presence? And how is he calling you? White female who lives in Northeast Jackson with six kids, Black woman who is now retired and figuring out how to be useful in this season of life. White man who works in a law firm or a particular niche in this city. How is God using you to be faithfully present amongst people who do this stuff? That's the question that we all have to wrestle with. And that's the first thing Paul is calling them to, the call to be present in the world. The second thing is this call to be pious or call to be holy. I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that Paul is still tracking with the same theme of holiness. He says they are God's temple. God's temple is holy. The opening verse of the book, Church of God in Corinth, sanctified in Christ, called to be saints. So notice they they fit together like hand and glove. You're in Corinth, but you're in Corinth, sanctified. And and that's important because you're not in Corinth to get enmeshed and lose your saltiness in the city. Right? Right? You're in Corinth and you're still holy. And Paul's going to tease this out. In 1 Corinthians 10, they're in Corinth and some went in Corinth and went into the temples in Corinth. And what they were doing was eating the bread and drinking of the sacrifices in the temple, in the wicked temples. And Paul says, you shouldn't do that. You are partaking of the Lord's Supper. And what you're doing in the temple is worshiping demons. So pull yourself out of that. Paul would later say, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And in the context of that, when you look at the cross reference, it goes back to marriage and divorce and remarriage. And Paul says, you Christian are free to remarry, but you can't have no missional marriage. Y'all got to be equally yoked. You can remarry in the Lord. You catch that? So Paul isn't saying be so relevant, so present that you lose your convictions. He is still calling you be present and be holy. You catch that? That's what the last week was about. The reason the brother was to be excommunicated was because he was old leaven leavening the new lump right old leaven like every year passover you would keep and the death angel would march through and and god told moses kill a a, a lamb, one year old, get him on the 10th day of the first month, slaughter him on the 14th day, and you put his blood over your door, you eat him, what you don't eat, you burn, and then you take out the leaven. And I talked to you about leaven. Leaven was this rising agent, this yeast, and what they would do, they would cook with it, and then they would put this in. And before they put this in, they pinch a piece off, put it to the side, bake this. Then they mix, mix the new dough. They'd get a pinch of this, put it in there, get it all up, get it rising, take a piece of the side, bake this. They were always holding on. And that cycle went on for a year. And then when Passover came, they got rid of everything. Throw it all away. Unleavened bread. Why? Because you're new, you're a new holy lump. And this brother was acting like the old. So even now, Paul is still talking about discipline. Look at verse 13, God judges the outside. Don't judge the outside. Who you ought to be worried about is the evil person among you who has given himself over to sexual immorality. You wanna avoid somebody, that's who you avoid. Not the world. Now, what you notice about this list then is that Paul doesn't stop. And this is where it's, it's, it's kind of frightening. He says, look at verse 11. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty. Now, let's stop with if he is guilty. And he's going to give us a list of sins. I think what Paul is talking about. Is not not when we struggle and fight and are putting to death and waging war on our sexual sin or our greed or our slander or our idols. That what Paul is talking about, the purging here, he's talking about purging the person like the man who moved in with his stepmom, who was content to be with her. Who was content to live in rebellion and so what paul says is don't associate with him don't even eat with him don't take him to coffee don't have him to your house to watch a football game but notice that sexual morality is not the only sin on the list there's not a period after sexual morality there's a an or and then more words, and another or, and then commas, and other words, here's what I think Paul is doing. I think he's he's poking at us. We look at sexual immorality and we tend to kind of exalt that and other sins, like that is egregious. He needs to be purged! But then you know what we do? We pet these other sins. And we don't see them as sinister as they are and so what paul is actually saying look at the list he said i'm not just talking about the sexually immoral i'm talking about greed that person who is greedy never content always chasing another dollar always chasing more stuff always got Amazon boxes stacked up to the roof of their house because they just buy and buy and buy and buy. There's a a greed component, but he doesn't stop there. Idolater. They're going after other gods and a reviler. That's a sin of the mouth where this person slanders and, 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 and sows dissension and gossips and drunkard. This person who can't not function without being on something. And swindlers. Those who swindle people out of stuff through deceit and charm and force. Paul says don't even. Eat with them if they are given over to that behavior. Now, this sounds harsh, but I want to convince you that this isn't arbitrary. And of course, Paul doesn't mean, you know how we do in the South, we just, we just cut folks off, right? We just kind of don't tell them why we ain't hanging out. We just don't hang out with them, right? Paul is really saying, yo, like after you go to this brother or sister, And others go to this brother and sister and say, hey, we think this is the problem. And more go to this brother or sister and shine light. If that person stays in their sin and will not repent, Paul says, look, you all just kind of push them to the side. Judge them. Don't judge the world because they need to repent. Now, look at that list. It looks so arbitrary and it's not. If you do a quick word search, don't do it now. And just do a word search in your Bible for the word purge. You're going to see it in 1 Corinthians here. You're going to see it in Ezekiel. You're going to see it in Psalm 51 when David says, purge me with hyssop that I may be white as snow. You're going to see it in 2 Chronicles, Judges. Now, here's the question. Where are the other 11 uses of purge in the Bible? You know where they are? Deuteronomy now track with me remember last week when we looked at the the commentary around sexual sin that paul uh, moses gave the law exodus 20 do not commit adultery and if you wanted to go and see what adultery entailed you go to deuteronomy 22 right it is there in the context of deuteronomy 22 if a brother or sister is caught in adultery that They were to purge the evil from them, and that, that couple, they were killed. But look at the rest of this list. What about idolatry? That's Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 17. If a prophet comes to you causing you to worship other gods, you shall stone him and purge him from your midst if an Israelite is caught worshiping the sun or the moon or any other created things that I commanded you not to worship, you shall purge them from your midst, right? Or what about the the next one, the, the reviler? All right, that's Deuteronomy 19. If you find someone who is bearing false witness against his brother, who is in a malicious and greedy way, after inquiring diligently and not accepting the charge just on him or her but two witnesses if that person who is greedy and who is slandering and who is lying is found guilty you shall purge him and do to him or her what they want it done to their neighbor all right what about drunkard deuteronomy 21 a family has a son who is stubborn and rebellious, and even after they discipline him, he will not stop. And parents shall bring him to the elders of the gate, and they shall say, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him, purge him from your midst. Well, what about swindling? Deuteronomy 24. If a man is found stealing one of his brothers of the people of Israel, and if he treats him as a slave and sells him, that thief shall die. You shall purge him from your midst. In other words, this list is not arbitrary. What Paul is actually doing is going back to Deuteronomy and looking at the holiness laws and bringing those laws to bear upon this New Testament church. They thought holiness was just being sexually pure. Holiness is about what you do with your money and your mouth and your heart and your hands and how you build your business and how you earn your money that's what paul is doing and paul is saying if you find a brother or sister given over to those sins and others after discipline don't eat with them Whew. i see some of y'all eyes like what all right Charles Spurgeon is uh, one of my heroes. I've been reading a lot about him lately. And I came across something that Spurgeon refused to serve or take communion with slaveholders. Listen to what Spurgeon writes. I do for my inmost soul detest slavery anywhere and everywhere. And although I commune at the Lord's table with men of all creeds, yet with a slaveholder I have no fellowship of any sort or any kind. Whenever one has called me, I have considered it my duty to express my detestation of his wickedness and would as soon think of receiving a murderer into the church than have friendship with a man stealer. He says, it is the church of Christ that keeps her brethren under bondage. And if it were not for the church, the system of slavery would go back to the pit of hell from which it sprung. And so Christ's church is free. It's bought with his blood. But we bear the shame of cursing Africa and keeping her sons in bondage. You hear what Spurgeon just said? He said if a slave owning man comes in my church, he is not getting the sacraments. Notice what Spurgeon didn't say. He did not critique the world. He did not judge the world. Who he judged was the church who named the name of Jesus, who swindled people. And rape people and molest people who work people on the Sabbath. Spurgeon says, you are giving over and supporting that hellish institution. I'm keeping you from the table. How does that sound hearing that? It sounds a lot like Spurgeon might have knew his Bible. And might have actually passed judgment, not on the world, but on Christians who are living like the world. That is holiness. As he began to grow in his holiness and grow in who God was and what God demands. You know where it moved him towards? To be more peculiar and more different and more set apart, even if it meant speaking against what was so commonly practiced in the church. I'm not judging the world. I think that is what Paul is saying. We're to be present, but peculiar here and holy. And those two things, beloved fit together like hand and glove what is your salvation for if you were asked why did God save me why did God save you You you'll say because he loved me and you would be so right and you would say that he wanted to show his immeasurable grace And kindness. And you will be so right. And you could say he saved me because he saved me and because he wanted to. And you would be so right. And Paul also says in Ephesians one. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in Christ Jesus before the foundations of the world that we should be Holy and blameless before him. In other words, your salvation is not just because God loved you. It's not just because he wanted to show you mercy. It's because God wanted to take an unholy people, rescue them, and then to present you holy back to himself. That's another reason why we're saved. To be holy. And that's what Paul is calling them to. I don't know about y'all, but I don't always do either of these well. Y'all, sometimes I get sick of the world. (laughs) Just being honest. if I could get me some land and not have to deal with folk. That'd be a a good way to live. (laughs) And sometimes I love the world. And sometimes I'm holy in spirit and in letter. And sometimes I'm not to my shame and sadness. How can we be what God is calling us to? Present, but not of the world. Holy. How? If you read this and you think God is saying try harder, do better, we're misreading the text. The reason we can be present in the world, but not of the world, the reason we can grow in holiness is because what God calls us to, God enables, beloved. This list is so daunting. These commands are weighty. But here's the good news. The good news said that Jesus had a zip code and an address. And it was 1000 Heaven's Way. And he had been with the Father and the Spirit for all eternity. And then he changed his zip code, his address. His new address was 1000 Bethlehem Highway. And he took on flesh. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born in the Virgin Mary. And he took on flesh and became a living human being like you and I and also simultaneously God. And God didn't save you and I with a long spoon, with a long handle. God says, I am going to come and dwell among you. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and he has dwelled among us. God himself has made himself present in the world. Jesus cried. The hay pricked his skin. He sweated. He caught colds. He got bullied. He went to the bathroom. He needed sleep. Why in the world would Jesus draw so near and locate himself not just on earth but in human skin to begin a beautiful rescue mission to deliver you and to move towards you and I in love and to offer us Life and shalom and blessing and peace to present to the Father obedience done by a human who is God and then to go die on the cross in the place of humans he moved here and only when we behold that that God moved near us can we then say okay God you did it I'm now empowered to do it and then Paul makes a connection in Deuteronomy all those purge and purge and purge and purge and right there in the middle of Deuteronomy there's this throwaway verse that is not a throwaway verse in Deuteronomy Paul I mean Moses writes curse is a man who hangs on a tree you shall not leave his body overnight you shall bury him Paul in Galatians look back at Deuteronomy and says don't you see we all need to be purged but there is one who died on a tree. There is one who was cut off and pushed off so that you and I can draw near. And Paul makes a beautiful connection in Galatians. He actually says, and because of that, we have now received the spirit. You catch that? God has handled your sin and God is committed to making you holy. Holy from within Mm -hmm. by his own spirit. That list looks so hard, but it's not impossible with God. Mm -hmm. We can draw near the world and be present in the world and not be afraid of the world because Jesus overcame the world and drew near to us. And we can be holy because Holy Spirit lives in you and is making you holy. We can be holy and we can be here. We can grow in piety and we can have deeper missional presence. By God's grace, let's pray. Father, we bless you. We commit our time to you. And I pray two things. Make us a people who are present in our jobs, on our teams, and our circle of friends where people don't believe. And help us, Lord, not to lose our saltiness. Make us holy. Not just holiness that, that looks good outwardly, but a holiness of the spirit, a holiness of the heart. Do this because you promised to. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.